Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Good morning. Gosh, it's good to be, see all you out here. <clears throat> um, I heard a, a church joke. Anybody want to hear a church joke? <laughs> oh, I better not. <laughs> yeah, okay. <clears throat> um, I was hoping for that response. Um, newly married couple. <clears throat> and as, as some of you know, uh, they, they began to um, <clears throat> have an argument about who's supposed to make coffee in the morning. And so they go, well, in my house, we used to do it like this, and they go on and on and on and on. And being the good, godly wife that this woman was, she says, well, I'm going to go look in the scriptures. And she, she goes and uh, grabs her Bible, and she spends a little time there, and he's kind of rolling his eyes and shaking his head. And she comes back and opens the Bible, and she goes, Hebrews. Okay. I, I was hoping I wouldn't have to tell it over again. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Jake turned me on to church jokes. <laughs> well, I, I had actually had something prepared about three or four weeks ago for this morning. And through the course of the year, <clears throat> I have felt God kind of prompting on my heart that we needed to revisit a message I gave about two years ago. And that message was on forgiveness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why, why a repeat? <laughs> well, I believe it's that important for us as a church here at Saints Hill. And more importantly, I think uh, God thinks it's really important. So we're going to revisit it this morning. And if you're all, all at all like me, uh, you need to hear things more than once to get it from up here to down into here, right? And, uh, and repetitions can, can be one of our best teachers. You athletes know that, and you students know that. Like a couple of weeks ago, um, Alex reminded us of a picture of someone had in the church when they were praying with someone uh, who wasn't yet a Christian. And the picture was this, life without Christ is like riding a bicycle without tires. Anybody remember that? The road... It gets a little bumpy, and you feel every bump, and it jars you. But living a life with Christ or, or riding a bicycle with Christ is like having tires on the bike, and they're filled, filled with a proper amount of air. But I, I'd like to take it a little bit farther and say that it, it's a joy to ride a bike that's designed how the designer designed it, Right? And I would suggest even that once you get on that bike with tires on it, filled with air, some regular maintenance on the bike is necessary to keep it running properly. And that's the same uh, that's true with our hearts. And the scriptures are packed full of instructions on how to do heart maintenance. So we're going to visit that this morning. 
Uh, doing forgiveness well is routine heart maintenance. It's like keeping the air in your tires. Or changing the oil in your car. And I, and I hear someone saying, we're supposed to change the oil in our car? <laughs> yeah, talk to Mike. He'll walk you through it. Or he'll, he'll change it for you. And Proverbs 4 gives it some help. And watch the progression in this. I love it. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't let them out of your sight and let them penetrate deep within your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. And then it says, I love this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. God wants to get the truth of his word from up here to down here. And when it gets there, we're to guard it <laughs> above all else. Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18, uh, if you could. That's where we'll be today. Zach, I was wrong. And I was thinking selfishly, and I acted selfishly. And my words to you were sin. And I know that they wounded you and hurt you. Will you forgive me? Thank you. <laughs> I, I have to tell you this. Zach, before the gathering, said, maybe you should go let, slash my tires so it's more realistic. <laughs> I love you, Zach. Thank you. Well, those words of forgiveness are sometimes really rare, but according to the scriptures and according to Jesus, they're not optional. How well we do forgiveness is directly related to how we function in our relationships, our marriages, how we function as a church family, and ultimately how we look like the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us a story in response to a question from Peter. And Jesus starts out the story by saying, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, and then he goes on to tell a story about forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus is telling us that a family of believers that does forgiveness well looks an awful lot like the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at it together. It should be up here on the screen. And then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, and he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, 
please be patient with me and I'll repay it all. Then his master was filled with compassion for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to his fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little bit more time, be patient with me and I'll repay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait and he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were really upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is God's word. The master was filled with compassion. (laughs) And compassion grows out of a tender heart. The servant held on to a hard heart, so much so that an anger he strangled his fellow servant who owed him a few bucks, and then he refused to forgive him. The servant found that forgiveness was a beautiful thing when he needed it, but a little bit more difficult when he needed to grant it. And I think Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, forgiveness starts with your heart. In verse 35, uh, I would ask the question, what's the consequence if we refuse to give others from our heart? We'll be imprisoned. Jesus is talking about the posture of our hearts. And no matter how hard it might have been for Zach to forgive me, if he refused from a hard heart, he would have been imprisoned in his own heart. What destroys us is that settled position in our hearts that I'm not going to forgive. It just hurts too bad. I'm angry. I'm going to hold on to this grudge. Do you even know what they said to me? I'll let it play over and over in my mind, and I'll hold on to this for however long it takes. Listen, what Jesus wants us to know is that if we're going to be a people that looks like the kingdom of heaven and filled with the Spirit and filled with joy that we must make war against that attitude and replace it with tender hearts. And this, this is helpful. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this. Thank you, Evan. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And Paul in Colossians three or Colossians says this: Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all else, clothe, your, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Man, I want my life to look like that. That's what Saints Hill can look like as we do family together and we look like the kingdom of heaven together. And yet sometimes forgiveness is just hard, isn't it? There could be the pain of a memory or a current circumstance you're going through and you're trying just not to think about it. And you may feel like it's slowly letting the air out of your tires. Maybe for you, it's something that happened in your childhood. And that wound is still open, not completely healed over. Maybe it's an abusive mate or you've been rejected or cheated or wrongly accused or slanderous words spoken against you. Maybe it's something that happened this week or even this morning. Whatever it is, unforgiveness can hold you hostage. But by stepping into obedience and choosing to forgive with a heart of compassion, we're set free. We get our joy back. We get our strength back. This morning, we want to see everyone in here be set free to receive that joy. What is, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness cancels a debt. Some of you would like your college debt forgiven or your mortgages. So we, we forgive those. Oh, man, I wish it was that easy, huh? Forgiveness is a decision you make. It's a choice. It's an act of obedience to God's word. It's not first and foremost an emotion, although it can carry a lot of emotion. It's a decision we make to no longer hold an offense against an offender. Just like the king and the servant in the story that Jesus just told that we read. Or like in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, love, that love keeps no record of wrong. Either the one who commits the offense must ask for forgiveness or the one who's been sinned against must bear the pain and the loss. The person who forgives no longer expects to be repaid for the suffering and loss, and someone always has to pay. Doing okay? Forgiveness can operate on two levels, unilateral and transactional. It sounds complicated, but it's not. Unilateral forgiveness is when you forgive someone and that person hasn't asked for it, requested it, or haven't repented for what they've done to you. And the world would ask, why in the world would I want to forgive someone that doesn't want it, didn't ask for it, or in my mind, doesn't deserve it? This is important. Listen, the reason you grant unilateral forgiveness is so that you can keep going, so that you can be set free, and so that you can get your joy back. It could be that you're being held hostage for something that the other person may never get right. 
And I might be waiting around for someone to ask me for forgiveness, and if they never ask for it, I'm held hostage by what they do or don't do. You might not even know where they live anymore, or maybe that person that did you wrong has died. They can't say they're sorry. And you're, being allow, you're allowing yourself to be held hostage by someone that's died. Electronics and me don't get along. Pencil and paper, that's what we need. I, someone told me once, don't touch the bottom right-hand corner. I did that. So sorry. Okay. When you forgive, you are giving up what you think is your right to get even. Unforgiveness can hold you hostage, keep you in chains, and let the joy out of your tires. But there's hope. Forgiveness brings healing and sets us free. And some of you are working at forgiveness from a good and tender heart, but you're finding it hard, and you're discovering it's a process, just like Peter was discovering. And you're asking, how many times do I forgive? Seventy times seven, Peter. And Kathy and I have spoken to so many newly engaged and newly married couples where at least one of them, if not both of them, had a wound from the past, and often it involved a parent. And they've forgiven the offense, but every time the memory creeps back, they find themselves having to forgive more than once, more than twice, And we've all been there. And oftentimes, forgiveness is most difficult with those who we're closest to. And our marriages are a perfect place to practice forgiveness. Those of you who are married would say amen. (laughs) Can it be hard? Yes. Can it be a process? Yes. Does it begin to set you free? Yes. Yes. And so many of you have experienced the freedom and healing that's resulted from someone um, that someone you've forgiven, but they haven't yet asked for it. And we watch you, and as you continue to walk around with joy, and it's flat out beautiful to watch, it's an incredible example, and it's contagious to the rest of us. Well, there's a great story in Acts chapter 7 of Stephen. And Stephen is on trial, and he's being wrongly accused of blasphemy in the last moments of his life. And all through chapters 6 and 7, he's speaking to the Jewish leaders things that were true, and they just didn't want to hear it. So I'm reading from the text now. It says this, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven 
and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And they put their hands over their ears, and they began to shout, and they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as, that's an important word, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And then he died. They were asking for forgiveness, but he was crying out to God on their behalf. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They weren't asking for forgiveness, but he granted it. And you and I were included in that statement. We hadn't yet asked for forgiveness, but he granted it. Oftentimes, you know, as I'm looking and sitting and reading in the scriptures and and, and this week, as I was looking through this, uh, some questions came to my mind. And I'm going to just read them to you, but I would invite you to ask them of yourself as we go through them. There's just a couple. When it's tough to forgive, am I compelled to forgive because of the tremendous debt that Jesus paid on my behalf? As the stones are hitting me, Those words are cutting deep. Am I able to say, Lord Jesus, don't charge them with this sin? When I need to forgive, how often do I find myself with a tender heart of compassion? When I've been sinned against and need to forgive, do I first gaze up and look and see the glory of God like Stephen? And do I count it as joy if I've forgiven someone, but they haven't yet chosen to make it right? Only you can answer those. When we have forgiven someone, but they haven't chosen to make it right, the enemy would want want us to play that videotape over and over again. But the Holy Spirit reminds us that Jesus, because of his deep love for us and the joy set before him, paid for their sin, paid for my sin, and paid for the sins of the whole world all at once and once and for all. That blows my mind. It should blow your mind. Forgiveness was granted to both you and I by Jesus before we said anything. And all we need to do is believe and receive it. That's unilateral forgiveness. But Jesus is offering us transactional forgiveness. Transactional forgiveness is what happened between Zach and I. It's where there's a desire for reconciliation and restoration of a relationship from both parties. It's what happened between you and Jesus when you chose to follow him, his blood for your freedom. Ephesians, 4, or Ephesians 1 says this, 
This is awesome. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in his kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And in Romans 5, it says that we've been made right in God's sight and that our relationship with him with God has been restored because of the blood of Jesus. He paid our debt, offered us forgiveness, and gave us the intimacy of a right relationship with him. If you're you're having a hard time forgiving or asking for forgiveness, or just not feeling compelled to do either, I, I would encourage you to get alone with God, open the scriptures, That's where heart maintenance starts. And ask him to show you the magnitude of his great love for you. Look up into heaven and gaze at the glory of God. Pray for a heart of compassion. Pray for an opportunity to make it right with that person. And don't pass up the opportunity when it presents itself. Pray for repentance and reconciliation and restoration to happen. God delights in answering those prayers, and he will tenderize your heart. I've never made it through this story um, without some tears, so just to warn you. And some of you have heard this before, but it's worth saying it again. When we first started Bridgetown Church um, in downtown Portland, Kathy and I were invited to be a part of a community that met down in the Pearl District. And they were about, there was about 50 or so, um, 25 to 35 year olds all crammed in this little condominium. But there was also Richard. Richard was 44 years old, and he'd come to the gatherings in his blue bathrobe and his blue corduroy slippers and his stocking cap. And I looked at him, and I wondered, what's this guy's story? Not in a bad way, but I just knew he had a story. And Richard and I became friends, and soon we learned that Richard was dying of AIDS. And he didn't have enough physical strength or energy to put a pair of jeans on. Well, Richard would call me at literally any hour of the night or day. And he'd tell me he needed me to do something for him. And I'd try to accommodate him whenever I could. And it often involved uh, helping him do some grocery shopping at the downtown Fred Myers. And people would gawk at him not only because of his robe and his slippers, but because he was tattooed from the very top of his neck to the bottom of his toes. With beautiful artwork, he he spared no expense. (laughs) But Richard's health started to deteriorate, and it forced him from his apartment in downtown Portland into a full-time care facility. And I would try to make it over every day that I could. And he would share with me his hopes and his desires for the future. (laughs) And he'd have me read to him out of the Bible. 
Richard had an estranged relationship with his father. In fact, they haven't spoken or seen each other in over 20 years. Dad was bitter over Richard's choice of lifestyle, even though Richard was stepping into freedom from it. And Richard was bitter and angry because Dad was bitter and angry. So we would pray. And we prayed for reconciliation. And we prayed for forgiveness. And we prayed for an opportunity. And he had a real desire to make it right. And I knew his time was short. Well, Richard's health started going downhill rapidly, and his next stop was the ICU at Emanuel Hospital. And I was asleep in my dorm room at the fire station, and I got a text from the ICU nurse. It was probably about 4 o'clock in the morning, and it read, Richard may not make it through the day, and he wants you to come right away. So as soon as my shift was over, I hurried down to the hospital, and I came into the room, and he was extremely weak and out of it. But he managed to say, read to me from John. So I began to read. And after a few moments, he opened his eyes, and he stopped me, and he said, in a real weak voice, Dad might come today. And I hadn't, heard, I hadn't heard anything about that from the nursing staff. And I thought he wasn't thinking clearly, and I, and I kept on reading. And then after a while, I hear a knock on the door. And the door slowly, gently swings open, and it was Dad. And he hurried over to Richard with tears in his eyes, and he embraced Richard and said, Son, will you forgive me? And Richard, with tears flowing, said the words, Dad, I forgive you, will you forgive me? And they were set free. And I was weeping, and I went out of the room to give them some time. And I thought to myself, I just witnessed the supernatural power of forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. This is what forgiveness looks like. And I had to get back to the fire station that evening, and in the middle of the night, my cell phone rang this time, and it was the ICU nurse. And she said, Richard died about 10 minutes ago, and he wanted you to be the first to know. And I let out a deep breath, and I said, okay, thank you, I'll be down in the morning. And then I hung up the phone, and I laid my head back down on my pillow, and felt strangely blessed from the magnitude of what I just witnessed moments ago. I was sad to have lost a friend, but blessed to know (laughs) that both Richard and his father were set free by forgiveness. It was a beautiful transactional, restorational relationship between two men that both loved Jesus. That's transactional forgiveness. Well, take a deep breath. <laughs> what, what, is, what does this look like practically? When you forgive from a good heart, you're making a few promises. First promise is this, I will not bring it up again or use it against you. 
Sometimes the temptation is to hang on to the offense so I can use it later as a weapon. I just say, I just say forgive you and let it go. Remember, when you forgive, you're giving up what, you're, what you think is your right to get even, to be repaid. Real authentic forgiveness requires a tender heart of compassion. That was what we learned in our text. The second thing, I will not bring it up to others in gossip. Don't bring other people in who weren't involved in the offense. You'll be protecting the person you've forgiven from people who weren't part of the problem and who could easily twist the truth. You're protecting their dignity and building towards restoration and reconciliation. Third thing, I will not bring it up to myself and dwell on it. I will not intentionally replay the offense over and over again in my mind. When it comes up, just speak out those words out loud. I forgive you, I forgive you. God, I forgive them and say their name. How many times? 70 times seven, Jesus told Peter. And the next thing is forgiving doesn't mean that I need to stay in harm's way. Healthy boundaries can be good if they're boundaries made out of love. And we don't allow the boundary to become a place where bitterness and anger can take root in our heart. Above all, what does the scripture say in Proverbs? They say, above all, guard your heart. <laughs> Asking forgiveness, how do we do that? We'll, we'll know that there's a difference between, between saying I'm sorry and forgiveness. And if you're unsure, ask God, was it accidental or was I being selfish, God? And the Holy Spirit will let you know the answer to that. If you have us over to dinner and I accidentally bring one of your designer bowls home with, with me, but don't realize it till we get home, what am I going to do? I'm going to get on the phone and say, or text you and say, hey, I brought one of your bowls home. I'm so sorry. When can I bring it over? That would be an, an I'm sorry and it'd come from a tender heart. But if we get home with that same bowl, and while I'm washing it, I'm gazing into how beautiful it is, and I'm going, this could go really good with my set. <laughs> and she'll never know. That's sin, and I need to confess it. <laughs> I need to ask you for forgiveness. And by doing so, I'm restoring my relationship with you and being obedient to King Jesus. It's routine heart maintenance. When we ask for forgiveness, it starts with a tender heart. And sometimes the hardest words to come out of our mouth are what? I was wrong. Simple way to ask. Acknowledge that you've sinned against them. Be specific about your sin. Say the words. Acknowledge that what you did hurt them. And then ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Moms and dads, can you do this with your young children? Yeah, absolutely. If you've been selfish against your son or your daughter or your spouse, ask for their forgiveness and go through those steps. When they see it, they'll get it. 
our son and his family live in southern Oregon, about eight miles up the Rogue River. And we go down there often, and we'll often spend the day on a gravel bar. And our grandsons, all under 10, all three of them have their own kayaks. And two of the younger boys were kind of crowding each other out a little bit. And our middle grandson was kind of irritated by it. And they were kind of facing each other in kayaks. One's going this way, one going this way. And the middle son took that paddle and he pops his little brother in the face. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> it's another injury. We get those calls all the time. And, and, he, and he looked up to see if mom and dad were watching. And they weren't. They were busy barbecuing and talking, doing some other things. But he never recognized that grandpa and grandma saw everything going on. <laughs> and he didn't look at us. But then he kind of looks down, and he takes a deep breath. And he looks up, and he looks at his brother. And he said, hey, are you OK? I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And Kathy and I just shook our heads and smiled and say, they get it, that's it. <laughs> when we forgive and ask for forgiveness, healing and hope begin. The chains that have held us hostage, maybe for a long time, are broken. And the pain begins to ease and we're set free. And our joy is restored. And we express the love of Jesus in very, very powerful ways. And we begin to look a lot like the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand together. Some of us this morning may need to do a transaction of forgiveness with a friend or a spouse or a son or a daughter, a roommate. You know who that is. Or maybe you're here this morning and you need to receive that transactional forgiveness that Christ Jesus is offering, free of charge. <laughs> you're tired of riding the bike without tires. And you're feeling compelled in your heart, and you feel like compassion starting to stir, and that's the Holy Spirit. And you may be saying, Jesus, I believe you've forgiven me before I ever said a word, but now I want to do that transaction. If that's you, we're going to have people up here in a bit that would want to pray with you, or there may be somebody sitting next to you that would do the same. Freedom and joy are on the other side of forgiveness. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for modeling what forgiveness looks like. <laughs> Teach us how to guard our hearts above all else. And thank you that you promise that we can have joy despite our circumstances <laughs> and make us a church that looks more and more and more like the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.